The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On this show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover the steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nasser, and I'm a mortgage broker at Lens Street, and I really love helping people buy their first home. Hey there, listeners. My name's Jack Trainer, and I'm one of the producers here at The Home Run. I'm just filling in for Michael today because with the new year upon us, Michael and the team here at The Home Run wanted to do something special for the next few episodes. So welcome to our new year, new home series. We've gathered the best tips and stories from the past year of episodes so you can refresh your memory while you gear up for the housing market in 2024. So let's get into it. Now, to kick off part two of this series, first you'll hear from Molly Benjamin, the founder of the Ladies Finance Club. The LFC is an exclusive finance club that empowers women to take control of their financial futures. When Michael and Molly caught up, they focused on some outside-the-box ideas that could help you save for your deposit. And Michael started out by asking Molly all about mindset. Your actions are your beliefs. Your beliefs are your actions. So if you really believe that you're never going to be able to buy property, what's your action? You don't take an action. What happens? The result is you have no property. If you believe you can get on a property ladder, you start taking action. You go, okay, well, I'm just going to chat to a mortgage broker and see where am I currently at? Where do I want to get to? Okay, I'm going to start looking around. I'm going to look at what other options are there. Oh, cool. There's some government schemes. Okay, great. I could rent vest. Oh, great. I could get my parents to be my guarantors. You start taking action. And I'm a big believer of mantras, goal setting, and actually changing the messages in your head to say, no, I will be a property owner. I will get on the property ladder and actually believing it. I remember speaking to um, a lady in London and she was in HR earning a pretty good wage. And we walked past a house together and she's like, I'll never be able to afford a property. And I was like, why is that? And she's like, oh, you know, I just don't earn enough. I'm like, how much do you earn? And she told me, and I'm like, you earn plenty enough to get on the property ladder. Maybe you can't start with your dream house that you know with the beautiful you know white fence and this but you can definitely become a property owner and build your way up to that dream home so yeah there's always a way if you want it absolutely and it's about finding it out and it's that education it's because once and it's something i deal with a lot it's like people don't know what's possible because they don't know what exists to make it possible so if you can outline the path for them then it's like well hold on now that i know what i need to do do you still want to do it i guess at the first instance and if that's generally yes then well let's start on that path so totally see um how you know outlying that journey can at least make it more empowering for the individual to then go on that journey and realize their ultimate dreams yes and it's so funny i think when people make that decision and then you see this belief that they're like oh my gosh I'm going to buy a property and then all of a sudden they're a bit of a financial hot mess and then it's like overnight they've like got their tax sorted they've got their pre-approval done they're looking and it happens quickly it's like tunnel vision effectively it's like now that I've got that in place I know that I can do it this is the strategy and then all of a sudden everything else falls into place yeah and I think that's where mortgage brokers play a big role in that education part as well and I know a lot of the mortgage brokers we work with as well I think they just spend like 90% of the time just educating people on that process which is why we've started running webinars on what is the process to buy 
So for anyone on the journey to buying their first home, what, what are some of the ways that they can improve their mindsets? So I think there's a couple of things you can do. The mantras or the affirmations, like I am going to be a property owner. I know it sounds a bit woo-woo, but like literally changing the messages you're telling your brain and then challenging those messages when the negative messages come up, you'll never be able to afford it. You won't be able to do this by yourself and actually challenging those and going, is that true? Has there been any single people this year that have bought property? Absolutely they have. You can totally do this. So really believing that. Again, I'm going to sound woo-woo to some of the people on the podcast, but manifesting, telling the universe that this is what you want and getting really clear and focused. Talking to a mortgage broker, I think that's great for the mindset because it actually makes you go, okay, I'm actually getting serious about this. And I'm going to, even if I'm not ready to buy right now, I'm going to find out what I have to do. And I'm going to look at, do I need to start doing some credit repair on my um, credit score? Even writing a letter, I don't, again, sounds woo, writing a letter to yourself about when you bought the property. So it's such and such, I've bought the property. This is how it makes me feel. This is why I wanted to buy it. And really thinking about why do you want to buy a home? What is it in you? Is it so you've got this security and comfort? Is it so that's something that's yours and no one can take away from you? Is it because you want to start a family? There might be numerous reasons. I think recognizing that why, and if you speak to buyer's agents or you know, when it comes to purchasing, generally the first question they ask is, why do you want to buy? And so being able to recognize what that why is can be very powerful. But I think the things that you mentioned there were woo. I mean, perhaps maybe 10 years ago, perhaps people thought like that, but I think more and more that type of thinking and that type of being is really becoming more common and people are recognizing that it's totally okay to be like that. And the changes that it can make are, are immense. And I feel- I know, the mindset is incredible when you really believe. Totally on the same page with you with that. And, and I think, you know, some of our listeners, if they're thinking that it is, I, I challenge them to give it a go because, and I think the key is doing it consistently. You can't do it for one day. It's just got to be something that you've got to ingrain in your process, right? So Yeah, like if I look at my phone right now, I've got my vision board on my phone and it's got the next property I want to buy. Like I look at that every day. I look at the one, two, three, four, five different areas of my life that I'm visualizing at the moment. And I see that every single day. Yeah, no, I think that's a great tip as well for people that are thinking about it. manifesting your reality. I think it's very much something that's a possibility and something that people should embrace as a concept and not think of it as being woo. So hopefully we, if we can challenge one person to break down that mindset, I think we've done a good job here. So the other thing that you're really big on is the importance of education. And we've already touched on it a few times here, but I want to understand why is it important for first home buyers to educate themselves? Well, you don't know what you don't know. And when you educate yourself, you can save huge money. Like even women who come along to our property sessions and they learn about mortgage brokers, if they use the right mortgage broker, that's going to save them thousands and thousands of dollars than if they were to just walk into a random bank and go, hey, does my square profile fit your square cookie cutter? And I think as well around insurances and cooling off periods, all that information, which we don't know about it because why would we? We've never been taught it. There's no university subject. We didn't learn it at school. Like unless you read about it or listen to podcasts like this, you don't know about these different processes that can save you huge money in the long term. And it can speed up the process as well. as, And that comes down to money as well, obviously. But if you aren't aware of something that can accelerate the time in which you can purchase, well, that's a bit of a game changer too. So like 
getting your pre-approval done. Like some people go, oh, if I want to find a house, I start looking on realestate.com. I find a house I want. It's like, no, no, no. You get your pre-approval. You work out what your lending capacity is. You've got to get it in the right order, which I know for many of our women, like, again, why would we know? We don't know unless you're speaking to someone. And then again, if you're speaking to the wrong people or you're listening to your parents or friends of your parents and they didn't know either, then yeah, you might not be getting the right information. Next, you'll hear from Kent Lardner, the director of Suburb Trends. Now, Suburb Trends is a property research firm trusted by some of the biggest names in Australian property. During the chat, Kent lamented how people have become a little too fixated on their property values and how he believes we need more social housing. Michael asked Kent to share what he was seeing out there in the data. Sometime in the 90s, I think we all shifted our gaze to Gordon Gecko as our hero. And we've all, for the last 20 years, we've all sat around the pub or the cafe bragging about how much our house price has gone up, you know, how good on us. And for 30 or 40 years now, we've neglected social public housing. And we're paying the price for that now. And this will spill over. It's not an isolated cup. Yeah, and I'm sure there are some some big takeaways. And what would you see the biggest takeaway from this index now that we're starting to monitor that you're putting out now about the current states of rentals in Australia as a general observation? I think the big takeout is that the politicians, even though it may have taken 30 or 40 years to get here, a lot of the leaders now are focused on this. So okay. whether that be Chris Minns in New South Wales, Anthony Albanese from a national perspective, This is a big focus now. So supply is the issue, not some half-hearted rental cap. You know, those rental caps are probably going to have the reverse of the intended effect. And I think these politicians are calling that out. They're not playing cheap politics. They're not playing short-termisms. They're actually recognising that the only solution is supply-driven. Rarely do I applaud politicians, but certainly they seem to be focused on the right thing now but they're carrying the can for 30 or 40 years of neglect. Yeah, and I guess that supply issue is definitely an issue and probably a conversation in its own right because it's got its its challenges. But in Sydney in particular, obviously, we're seeing a steering away to some extent of that high-density type of housing and style of or desirable asset class. And where do you see that supply coming from in most of the capital cities? The focus on New South Wales, for example, um, Chris Minns is highlighting that the infill is an important thing. Yeah density does need to go up. So he's looking at extra density, extra allowance for number of floors in return for an allocation of affordable housing. Yeah. So that's a a trade that's underway, which is healthy. Other things I'm seeing touted are a return to that medium density townhome come terrace home design. So there's a lot of common sense stuff coming out where they are calling out the limitations of the great urban sprawl. And, you know, in Sydney, we'll pick on Sydney, you know, Sydney's the basin and it's kind of running out of space and pushing into floodplains as the last resort of a place where, you know, places where you can build cheaply. It makes no sense. You're not building cheaply. You're just effectively kicking the can down the road until it floods. And then when it floods, you can't get insurance and none of us will get insurance and certainly you'll pay the price long term. Global warming, I don't, you know, climate change, it doesn't matter who you attribute the cause to or what you attribute the cause to, it's happening, right? So floods will be more frequent, more common, more severe, and these areas that we're building are wrong. And so 
the politicians are calling that out correctly. And it's funny, you mentioned going back to what we've done. I mean, if you look back in inner Sydney in particular, there is a lot of terrace houses and there was a lot of, you know, and it's almost like, well, we did it at one point. So we kind of, at that stage, you know, and we pivoted away and now perhaps it's more coming back to that type of style of housing that we once had. And True. There's a great story online that talks about the history of why they stopped doing it. And the government of the time, they were the places where there were slums. So effectively when there were whether it be health-related issues, a disease being spread or crime or other things, after the Depression they kind of blamed, well, it appeared that the, the local government in Sydney, they blamed terrace housing and they never got past it. So the planning minister that highlighted this at the time was uh, Rob Stokes. There's a great story online about it that says what happened to the terrace and effectively we never got back on track so they were effectively banned. And it never climbed back again. Yet I think anyone who walks through a new town or a Paddington in Sydney loves the vibe of the place. Now it's part of the charm of the suburb. It's part of the charm. So why wouldn't you do more than that? I just read something from, I think his name's Matt Endicott, and it was just a post that came out locally in Newcastle this morning, about an hour ago, and highlighting this same point. That's why it's top of mind. And he was saying we should be focusing on a number of these suburbs should be looking at that style of dwelling. And it's like, hallelujah, because I've lived in a terrace before in Newtown and it was on 127 square metres, so quite a bigger block, but a lot of them were on 70 or 80 square metres, yet they feel quite private because of the design. You've got your own little courtyard out the back and I think they're a wonderful approach to medium density. Yeah, and it's just funny I had that thought because you'd mentioned it and I was like, well, yeah, we used to do it and what happened? We obviously stopped. And and that's what happened. And, you know, a dis- whether it be disease or, or, you know, whatever it might have been, there was a government hand in stopping it and that effectively put an end to it and, and we never really caught up again. And we're seeing a lot of duplex, I guess, style of housing now that's coming up and cropping up in the different suburbs. And that's not, I don't think it's going to have the same impact that something like a terrace It doesn't have the same impact. You know, we went into all these new sites and these greenfield sites and just started building three, four, 500 square metre lots. And imagine if they could have been 75, 80, 100 square metre lots. Wow. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, you're raising a lot of food for thought there. Um, and, and I guess that's, that's what politicians, I'm assuming, today are, are considering. And, and they're onto it. They are, they're not ignoring it. It's just the problem is you can't turn this problem around on a dime. No. No, because you've got to appeal to the to the consensus and to the community, and I think there is a sentiment in the community about this type of you know a dwelling and this high density, I guess, type of living, which we we as a community probably need to start to embrace as well. So I guess that's the challenge of the politicians. Yeah, I mean that's what the city should be anyway. Yeah, you yeah. know, and there's a lot of airspace above public transport, and there has been a lot of nimbyism. So if you talk to a lot of locals in and around these inner city locations, they don't want high-rise nearby. So that's the trade-off. That's the hard decision. And finally, to finish up this New Year New Home series, let's go to Dr Nicola Powell. Nicola is the Chief of Research and Economics for Domain, and she has to be one of the smartest people we've ever had on the show. Nicola gets to see things from a higher level than you and I. So to start, Michael asked Nicola to explain what it is she actually does as the Chief of Research and Economics at Domain. 
So I lead our research and economics team. So that ultimately means we have the fabulous job of picking apart what's going on in Australia's property market, both at a macro level from Australia wide, and we go all the way down to suburbs. So we do various different reports, such as rent reports. So we do do rental markets, vacancy rates. We do other things like pricing. We do a first home buyer report. We actually launched last year a sustainability and property report and looking at how energy efficient homes or more energy efficient homes perform on the market in terms of do they sell for more? Do they sell for quicker? So yeah, we track obviously the the basic fundamentals of the property market, such as auction clearance rates. I mean, that's a sport in itself, isn't it? Watching the, the auction market, days on market, all anything to do with property stats. That's what my team looks after. Okay. And so you get to look at things at a much higher level and I guess at a more micro level as well than most of us. I wanted to ask you about some of the trends that you see from your vantage point and what trends are affecting first home buyers, but in particular right now. There are a few. And one of the ones that occurred during the pandemic was this record price gap between houses and units. We started to see it narrow a little bit, but it appears to be widening again. That obviously impacts first-home buyers in a couple of ways. Probably the first one is when they're on the market and perhaps they purchase a unit is that upsizing. That property leap from one property type to another has become harder. And that's a consideration when someone's looking to get into the market in terms of what type of home is their first home. But the flip side of that you know, the fact that we have got such a wide gap, so it's still very elevated in terms of the price gap, and this is largely across most of our capital cities. It does mean that it either tells us two things about the market, houses are overvalued or units are undervalued. And I think there is this perception of value that units offer first home buyers. And the fact that they haven't, if we capture that COVID price gain as well, the fact that units didn't see as much growth during that period of time, actually, they didn't pull back in price as much as house prices had. But I think that value is there in the unit sector relative to what we see in houses. But I think when you go to that second home and perhaps your family is expanding and you want to have a house, you want to have a garden, that upsizing has become harder. You also mentioned the first home buyer report. What's that about and what sort of metrics are you analysing and interpreting there for first home buyers? And what's the latest in that sort of space that you're seeing? So with Domain, we're actually really passionate about affordability and really helping first home buyers understand property market dynamics and understanding the journey they need to go on in order to be able to purchase their first home. So we do an annual report, which is called the First Home Buyer Report. And there's two main aspects to this report. Firstly, we look at and calculate how long does it take to save the recommended, and I'll say recommended, 20% deposit. We know many people go with a much lower deposit than 20%. So we look at the journey time it takes to save for a couple. We focus it on that first home buyer age, which is the bracket between 25 and 34. So the average age of a first home buyer is in the early 30s. We also look at the change over the time. So have we seen the journey time it takes for an entry-level house or unit change over the past year, change over the last five years. As you can imagine, the journey time it takes to save for a house in Sydney is the longest. And this is an entry-level house. It takes six years and eight months to save for an entry house in Sydney. We have seen the journey time it takes to save for an entry house improve. And that's because obviously the interest rate environment has changed. And what we do is we calculate savings rates and that compounded rate of savings 
obviously helped to speed up the time it takes to save. The other part of the first home buyer report actually looks at the other side of the spectrum because there's always two sides to the affordability conversation. There's I need to save X amount to have a deposit and gain access to the market. Then I need to be able to service an ongoing mortgage. And what is that cost of holding debt? What we also calculate is mortgage affordability. So what is the proportion or the percentage of income needed to cover the mortgage for an entry priced house? And what's been very interesting, so we do this report annually. So the last time we did this was early this year. So it was back in kind of February, March time. What we saw was a change in the affordability conversation. Largely speaking, we'd seen the journey time it takes to save for an entry priced property decline, so decrease. So that's good news for first home buyers. But the conversation had really changed and morphed into a mortgage affordability conversation. You know, this is totally your realm of expertise. And we've seen that those interest rates have changed so dramatically over the last 12 months or so. When we look across the combined capital cities, the amount of income required to service a mortgage repayment on an entry priced house surged to 41%. That's increased from 29% in 2018. Now, 30% is more or less the benchmark. And when you go over 30%, you deemed in mortgage stress. So across the combined capital cities for an entry-priced house, it's telling us that largely speaking, people are in mortgage stress based upon that kind of aggregated data. But for units, it's much better. It's 27% to cover an entry priced unit across our combined capital cities. But again, it's increased, but not as dramatically as we've seen for houses. It's gone from 23% in 2018 up to 27% of your income needed to cover a mortgage repayment for an entry unit. You mentioned that savings has been decreasing in terms of the time, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the time that it takes for the average first-time buyer to save is decreasing in time. Is that a result of any incentives that have been in place or, you know, there's a 5% low home deposit scheme? Do you guys look at that as part of the reasons as to why that might be occurring? No, so we don't take into account first home buyer incentives because obviously there are, some people might not be eligible for those incentives. So we really look at almost like a base case scenario. This is a couple. So obviously, if you're a single, your situation is, is much different. But you're really right. There are lots of incentives. And I think it's really important to remind first home buyers, if I'm ever talking to a first home buyer, whether it's a colleague, you know, whether it's someone I meet in the street or whether it's a friend, my advice is always the same. When you begin your journey of looking for a home, make sure that you are aware of the types of incentives that are currently in the market. They change. New South Wales is a, a really great example where they had that choice on stamp duty or property tax earlier in the year. And then, you know, it was canned very, very quickly. So things change. And I think it's important to be across, you know, get some advice from professionals that really are like yourself that specialize in this space to help understand what are those either cash incentives or low deposit schemes that I can get access to. Because as you said, like that low deposit scheme, which there are 35,000 places available this financial year, you can go with as little as a 5% deposit. What that does is it supercharges your access to market and you're in the market sooner. So it's a great incentive, but I also think it's important to do the pros and cons because not everybody's situation is the same. And that's why it's always important to talk to the professionals that know what they're doing. 
So that's it for today's episode. If you want to listen to the full interview with any of today's guests, you can find the links to those episodes in the show notes. On behalf of Michael Nasser and the entire podcast team, I'm Jack Trainer, and thanks for listening to another year of The Home Run. You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by Lendstreet. Lendstreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex, so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lendstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser, and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.